Greetings, family. Today, I wanted to speak to you about some near-death experiences I have had, but I didn't have to die. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love, your great goodness and mercy and kindness that you give us each day. Thank you, Lord God, for providing us hunches and instincts that you're there and you're here, and we know from the indicators we have in our hearts where we're supposed to be. Honoring you, thanking you, and having your approval that you approve of us, Lord, is my greatest need in my life, Lord, and I pray for others too. Thank you, Lord God, for generalizing my life into easy compartments and able to do it easily. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be with us as we speak today and go about in our duties. Amen and amen. Amen. You know, uh, when I was born, uh, I was born in rural, a lot of open fields in Tijuana, 1954. My parents got together from uh, in Agua Prieta, Sonora area, Hermosillo. And they got together, two young couples around 1920, 22, and married right away. They had one child, and then they they moved. No, they had two girls, and then they moved to the border town of Tijuana, and they bought a house. Uh, so that was, uh, I guess you can say, middle class. And then my brother was born, and he was born in the car in what you call the Carretera de Ensenada. They were coming back from Ensenada and my mom couldn't hold him any longer. And he was born on the side of the road. And then I was born, which I call the Lincoln Log Cabin, which was the uh, house in Tijuana in rural where the river used to run through, but they made a easy way. And when we were, when I grew up, we used to go to the river and my mom would wash the clothes in the river my older siblings were at school, and I watched the younger, the baby, while my mother washed the clothes and the diapers. Every once in a while, the river would take a diaper, and she'd call on me to go get it. And i run like the wind with a stick and go get it and retrieve it for my mom. That was a wonderful upbringing. We can hear cows, roosters, geese, people. I remember as a child listening to the noises that were coming through the window through the top and and just listening to all that noise of life, cars honking and kids talking and playing and I can hear horses snoring, snorting, neighing, neighing and all that stuff, dogs barking, life was happening. On Saturdays, I couldn't wait to put on my Levi's and get out there and play. You know, play in the sand, play with my tractors, play with my little engines, you know, and make roadways. I always wanted to be a, to make roads, you know, fascination with little caterpillars and so forth and I enjoyed it. And so those were the things we were brought up and then my dad started drinking. I think he started, he was painting and I think the fumes got to him. And he started becoming violent and so forth. And the whole family just became neurotic. So when we came to the United States, when my mom immigrated us, and the story is that my dad tried to take the money for the immigration papers from my mom. And 
she hid them and pasted them under the refrigerator, the old brown refrigerator. And one of my older sisters said that she was about to tell dad so he can stop beating on her where the money was. And my mom says, if you would have told him, I would have beat you. <laughs> but I was a sickly child, I guess, the lungs and so forth. So I, I, I guess I took a, a big toll in the enthusiasm of the family. Everybody uh, considered me as uh, slow. And uh, so I remember getting the chicken pox or something, and they put a chicken cage around on the cement floor there in the kitchen and put a cover there, and they had me in there so I wouldn't, I guess, contaminate the other kids. And I remember my older sister would bring her friends, and they'd come and they look down into the kitchen coop and look at me, and she would say, he's sick. And they look at me like if I was some kind of animal, you know, with want to see the strange kid and sleeping on the cement. So when my first out-of-body experience happened when I wanted a glass of water, I guess I was burning with fever and I couldn't get to the to the dispenser with the water and I remember the aluminum glass that everyone used the the cup on top of the 5 gallon plastic container and I looked at it and I looked at it but it was around 2 in the morning and I didn't want to wake anybody up I didn't want to bother I didn't want to cause any chaos and I wanted the water so bad and I couldn't get it because of the cage that was in and that's when I had an out-of-body experience my soul came out of there went over there got a big drink of water and to this day I don't know if, if it was real or not but I remember drinking and quenching that water that was one of my experiences the other experiences is, is and we all had them the ability to fly you know, when we wake up in our dreams and and realize that we're dreaming. So I, I consider that out of body. We're out there flying over buildings and so forth. So it was easy for me to have faith and just believe. And when I would wake up, I would come out, come down to the ground and then snap out of it. I remember a lot of times just dreaming and waking up in the dream and say, wow, I'm dreaming. I can do anything. And usually I wanted to fly. Later on, when I became a Christian in 1982, 83, I said yes to Jesus. Everything in my life didn't work. Every decision, my faith didn't work. My hope didn't work. My believer didn't work. My confidence was not working. And I was not trusting. So finally someone, I believe God got me in that corner. And finally someone said, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you will be able to beat that devil alcohol. And I said, what do I have to lose? Has it come to this? I still had a little reservation. And it seems like I said yes, and it seems like I still had a reservation, and it was tall. As the years went by, that reservation just left and left and left, and I started devoting more and more of myself to, to praising and thanking God and research. So I come to my near-death experience research. I started selling, left truck driving, I left mechanics, diesel, and I went into selling real estate, insurances, and so forth, and got together with an insurance team. 
and I couldn't afford to live there anymore where I was living. I was giving money to the church and trying to, and they took my car and I didn't have a car for eight months. I didn't have a place to live. So I lived with some friends, a couple that sold insurance. You know, make it a point. I was selling more insurance when I was walking without a car because I was going door to door, didn't have anything else to do. And I thought about going after the mortgage insurance and putting life insurance on the people and telling them that uh, if how to uh, creatively redo their their retirement and their insurance and so forth. It worked for a little. When I moved into those persons and the person started uh, giving me a cot in the back room right there, I could not be productive. For some reason, I lost my zeal to take care of myself in that drastic way. Quickly, I went, I hooked up <clears throat> with a church in Pomona, California that were worshiping and praising God like crazy. Claremont, I believe it was. Montclair, one or the other. Um, and it was a pop, practically 95% black church beaming with joy and love like you could not believe. Their love was just amazing. They were praising God and worshiping. They had it going on. The zeal of the Lord was there. And I already had been in the Christ for about five, six years. So they had a prayer meeting 24 hours a day, praying for the nation, for the peace of nation, for Israel, and way back then in the late 80s. And I got involved with it. I lived so close, I can almost hear the church with the music. That's how I got attracted to it. I walked over there two in the morning, and sure enough, there's three, four people praying. You know, I walk in there six in the morning, they're praying. Late at night, everybody had a two-hour window to pray. The whole church, about three, four hundred people. So I just went in any time, and we did this for about three weeks. I guess they took the whole month of February or something to pray. And about three in the morning, I was in the cot, and the hand of Jesus came, and he, with his finger, he touched my leg to the right of me, and it opened up like a pie, the heavens and the, and the sky, and I went right into heaven. I knew it was heaven because I heard music and I called it uh, honey love music in the air. The air and the breath, it was a thousand times more vivid than any day you can properly imagine there. And I heard these words while I was standing on the grass and looking at the clouds and the blue sky and the buildings way down there. And the beautiful green, green grass. I was standing in the field. And I heard these words. Lily of the valley. I didn't see anything. I didn't know what they meant. And 15 years later. This lady told me that that meant sanctification. Sanctification. Well. I got up that morning. And I looked in the mirror. And I was glowing. Literally glowing. I surprised myself how much glow I had. So when we're there in, in heaven, you don't have to die to go to heaven. You don't have to go. You can pray hard enough. So I always tell people, how do you get to heaven? You take three weeks of praying, 24 hours a day, praising God and thanking Him. And you'll get a chance. God will and He'll come. 
And he did me. He touched me. He touched me. Now when I hear that song, oh, he touched me. I can relate to him. I can say, yep. Another time I got touched, I was under a tree reading the book of Psalms. And the glory of God came down so magnificent that I went back to the real estate office and pounding on my broker's office telling them, I can run over that mountain. And now I know how King David felt when he wrote the Psalms. Or where it says, you know, you have strengthened me when I can run over like a deer over the mountain. Even though there's nothing around here, nothing is working, yet I will praise the Lord, the God of my salvation. Amen. Because he fills you with hope, joy, faith, and power. Duminous power from heaven. Amen. I heard a pastor, Pastor Cho, when I was in Korea, I picked up a book there called The Fourth Dimension by Pastor Cho. has an 800,000 membership. David Yonghee Cho, Korean, Seoul, Korea, pastor. And uh, he says that these dramatic touches go for about every 10 years. And you hang on to them. You have to replay them, replay them, and hang on to them. I've been born again now for 40 years, and I still can't get enough. There is more, folks. <clears throat> there is more. Pray the Our Father with other people. Pray Psalm 23 for your enemies. <clears throat> Make a difference in your life. Keep loving. Keep forgiving. Keep thanking God. They don't have that tenacity that you, we have, that you have. That keep going because there is more. There is more life, more life, more light we are to obtain. Keep praising Him, thanking Him when you mess up and love on yourself. L loving on yourself is accepting God's love. That's all you're doing. I thank you, God, for your love. We praise Him for our problems and we get surrounded with grace and mercy. That's the Father's will, that we be surrounded with grace and mercy. And in order to get grace and mercy, we got to have problems. we got to have situations nipping at our heels, things that are bothering us, people that tick us off, and they, they stay in our heads, and we think about how to get even with them day and night. We want you to, I'd like to ask you to please start praying Psalm 23 for them. And in your mind say, I love you, and I forgive you. I love you, and it's all is well. Just talk to them in your mind and defuse the situation. Say, say to your mind, cancel, cancel. I have forgiven them as the Father has forgiven me. Amen. All right, that's enough of me. You probably said that. If you're still listening to this, you're a great, wonderful person, and I love you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Lift up his counts and give you peace. Amen. I am up Northern California. I had to drive the wife through the rain to go see her mother 400 miles because she took a stumble walking at 85 years old. And they're in excellent condition for 85. The dad walks every day. He only eats once a day. And just great, great um, discipline. They were farmer workers going from field to field, raising their kids, strong, strong uh, work ethic. 
he gets up at four in the morning and I'm sleeping in the couch. I'm already trained. I got up before, got in around 11, slept four hours or whatever, and I was up at three something, got everything out of the way because I know he's going to come into the living room at 4 a.m. and we have our coffee. And then I leave the house about 5.30, get out of the way, get out of their hair. Enough of me. You're going to be hearing for the next hour. I'm going to, I have a near-death experience of an in-depth near-death experience of a lady that died two, three times. Incredible stories. And I believe because of the experiences I have had, that's why I believe in you too. You had experiences in your life. So thank God that it's always a wonder. It's always an excitement. It's always, we're always curious and inquisitive about how others uh, get to see the, the, the stars. I guess it was uh, Orion, the Nubilus. That's about the story what got my attention. Enjoy. God bless you. Give them heaven. Here's Pauline. Friends, welcome back to the channel. Thank you so much for joining me today for another near-death experience interview. Today with Pauline Glamochak. Pauline had several near-death experiences. And in this interview, she will share beginning with a negative experience that she had when she was older to sort of set the stage. Then she's going to go back in time and share a couple of other experiences that she had. One of them when she was a young girl was an in-depth experience with Jesus Christ, which I'm so excited to share with you guys. Tomorrow we will be back as usual with a Q&A where I will be asking her all of our questions about Jesus Christ, why he died on the cross, what he wants from us. A little bit of background on Pauline. She's a mother, therapist, intuitive, and artist. She works in private practice as a counselor and a spiritual life coach. And her expertise is helping people move beyond adversity, addiction, and trauma through spiritual integration. She works with the experiencers of near-death and other spiritual experiencers, as well as those who suffer from depression and thanatophobia, fear of death. Her ministry, Grace Calling, is an invitation to a mystical relationship with Jesus Christ. She's currently finished her first book, Grace Calling from Childhood Near-Death Experience to Mystical Relationship. Pauline's YouTube channel will be linked in the description as well as her Facebook where you can contact her for counseling. I will also include a link to her book and you can contact her through email which she will list at the end of the interview. Don't forget to check back tomorrow for part two. Thank you so much for watching. Here's Pauline. Hello, Pauline. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you here to share your amazing near-death experience with us. Thank, Thank you, you. For being here. Thank you, Mel. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm really honored um, to be speaking with you today and to meet you. So me too. If you wouldn't mind just sharing your near-death experience story with us in whatever way you feel led. Okay. I like to start with um, 
the most recent one, because if it wasn't for that one, I wouldn't be sharing any of them. Uh, you, you have to understand that I was 11 at the time when, well, I was actually younger with the first, first and second ones, but the third one, the most profound one, I was young and I knew that I wouldn't be believed. Well, I was immediately disbelieved. So I compartmentalized the experience and really held it at arm's length. Um, but I kept getting signs, you know. Uh, it's strange that you can have an experience that's so profound and yet you, you know, you can push it away. Um, but, yeah, a lot of people have said, if I had the encounter that you had, I would just be a Jesus freak right from the outset. But that wasn't how it works for me. So... I'll tell you uh, what helped me come out. And that was in 2015, I had a negative, an encounter with negative entities. Uh, during surgery, I had to have emergency surgery um, on my abdomen. I'd suffered a blunt force trauma to my abdomen. And um, I was in a state of really hating the perpetrator because it was... Uh, just a very violent attack and um, it was a breach of trust, it was a breach of love, it was many, many things. And I really held on to the bitterness. And I'm telling you this because I think it's important to give a prelude of the state of being, you know, state of mind, state of existence that I was in when I had this negative experience. Um, it's certainly relevant as far as I can uh, deduce. So I I was even bitter against the health workers and just everybody, really. I felt deserted. I felt alone. I was so engrossed in bitterness that I didn't even, I didn't reach out to Jesus. Um, I was focused on the wrong, the wrongness that was done to me. So finally, I had this surgery to remove this mass uh, that had caused adhesions to all of my organs in my stomach. Um, it had caused an ovarian torsion, which you might know is very serious and um, serious, physically debilitating thing to happen. So, uh, while I was under anaesthetic, I thought that I was awoken to move me from the operating table to a gurney or to another bed. And I thought the, um, you know, that I was coming out of anaesthetic and that the people who were pulling on me were nurses. Um, so I... I had this preconception about what was, you know, how things were going to go. So I opened my eyes and I saw these three faces looking at me. Um, one I remember really clearly because she was curly haired. She was sort of a full, full figured woman. Um, and they were dressed in scrubs, but they weren't the kind of scrubs that, you know, yeah, they looked different. 
Um, and and when they were pulling me, I was thinking, you know, because they were pulling me to sit up. And I thought, well, this is strange. When I realised that that was that what they were doing, I thought, well, how can you be pulling me to sit up? I'm, I've just had abdominal surgery. I could, you know, um, just didn't seem right to me the way that they were behaving. And so as I resisted and, and sort of um, realised that it was something was not right, I, I looked down and I saw a group of surgeons and it seemed to be a, a lot of people kerfuffling and, but somehow the, they were muted, you know, that I could, I caught a glimpse of them, but they were just muted. It was, um, and, and these people who were um, trying to pull me, they were accentuated, I guess, you know, but uh, as I resisted them, they became more malevolent and impatient with me. And I realised that I was having a near-death experience because of my previous experiences. And when the penny dropped, I immediately said, I'm not going with you, I'm waiting for Jesus Christ. Because their appearance changed, you know, they became insistent and impatient and, um, you know, just, yeah, not, not they weren't behaving as nurses behave. And as soon as I said that, I fell back into darkness, completely back into unconsciousness as soon as I called out Jesus's name. Then I woke up in the recovery room and it was normal light and the nurses were normal. Um, these turned kind of greyish as I, um, as I observed them. You know, the more I looked at them, the more they they changed. So I woke up and I saw the nurses and, and the nurses were just glowing. You know, they were beautiful. And uh, when the doctors came in to do their rounds and they were beautiful. So what I know happened, uh, and I know this because of my life review in my profound near-death experience as an 11-year-old, what I know happened was that I was seeing everyone with spiritual eyes. I wasn't seeing them like in their physical form. I was seeing them as Jesus had shown me that he saw me and my family, um, you know, as, as profoundly beautiful and opalescent and just... Yeah, just um, that spiritual self, not the soul self or the bodily self. It was that glowing self. So after that happened, um, I came home into recovery and my sister came over and, um, you know, occasionally, you know, there'd be this smell of roses and I'd say, do you smell that, you know? And then the neighbours all started coming over and, and we sort of had a, you know, a, a nice, polite relationship, but they came over really to support me and to help me in my recovery and to check on me. And, um, yeah, I just felt so very supported. And as soon as I could get up and about and, you know, because I was so very tired with with the extent of the, the surgery and recovery was... Um, yeah, it wasn't immediately that I was sent home and able to do things. Um, 
as soon as I could sit up for any length of time, I sat at the computer and I started to Google things about my 11-year-old near-death experience because now I knew I was getting all of this confirmation and I was feeling completely blessed and in the Holy Spirit, you know. You know that saying, we are in God and God is in us. I really felt that I was in Jesus. I felt I felt I was in grace. I was in a state of grace completely. Um, and so I knew, you know, that everything that had happened was real. Um, the kind of response I got to my spiritual experiences and my near-death experiences was really damaging because it had me doubting my own sanity. But this experience was so, um, you know, so I brought back so much from it, much more than any other experience. And it lingered for so long that even when I went in for my second, I had to have a follow-up surgery, even then, the nurse, who was a, an adorer of Christ, as I call us, um, she recognised that I was in that state. And she called the um, the uh, head of, uh, or one of the um, spiritual counsellors to come and visit me. Um, because I was waiting for this second surgery, I didn't feel any kind of anxiety about it. I felt completely blessed and... Um, still in that state of grace. And as I said, the nurse recognised it. So the spiritual counsellor came around and we started talking, you know, I told her of one of my encounters with Jesus, um, not the near-death experience, but I told her of this encounter I'd had with Jesus. Um, I still didn't have the courage to talk about my near-death experience, but I just, I knew I was in this state of grace and she recognised it and basically offered me you know, to come and work at the, the hospital. I mean, just after a half an hour conversation or so. So, yeah, it was, um, although it was a negative encounter, um, it was just the most powerful encounter I've had. Um, and, and then, yes, of course, so I sat and, and started researching and... I saw all of these encounters with, you know, the light and light and uh, universal knowing and rippling in the ocean. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, this is okay. There are near-death experiences, but none of them resemble mine. And I was a little bit disheartened, you know, but then I looked um, at uh, uh, aspects that were shown to me in my near-death experience, like cosmic um, scenes that I'd seen uh, and I recognised the uh, Orion's, Orion Nebula um, that Jesus that I sat with Jesus at, you know, and then I thought, no, it is true, it is. So um, I, the second day I, when I could, you know, sit up, I, I came and sat at the um, computer again and finally I, I found Howard Storm's interview his testimony and oh it was just the most um uplifting confirming it just gave me such courage and i suddenly knew that 
all of this self-doubt that I'd been carrying all of my life just lifted, you know, just that spiritual self-doubt completely lifted. Um, so, yeah, uh, and then I sort of, you know, sheepishly started to, you know, join Christian um, near-death experiences groups and, and sort of write a little bit about my experience. And I didn't get such a great reception, you know, and I thought, oh, because there was this biblical idolatry um, that sort of said that my experience didn't align with the Bible. And I was so often in Christian circles um, called up on, you know, on this kind of universalist message that I was, that they perceived that I was spreading about the love of God. So, um, yeah, so that's a little bit about it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take up from there just after I've told you the other experiences. But, yeah, so that's what prompted me to finally have the courage. And in 2020, um, it was the 1st of 2020, and I just got the strongest calling from the Holy Spirit to testify regardless of nobody believing me and getting no positive feedback, the truth stands whether it's believed or not believed. So on the second, um, the YouTube video was uploaded, the second of 2020, before the outbreak of COVID, and my testimony went, you know, went live onto YouTube. Um, so, yeah, and then I began to have the courage to talk about my other near-death experiences. I had an out-of-body experience when I was a child and caught pneumonia. Um, at six or seven, I had a drowning experience. I was taken by a rip and I was rescued by a very commanding voice, um, and which buoyed me up. He told me to open my eyes. And, you know, when you're taken in a rip, it was, I tried to open my eyes and um, everything was very fuzzy, you know, the sand and all of the, um, you know, the whirling and, and the waves. And, and it was just like I was in a washing machine. But he, uh, he, I felt this calm descend on me and this voice permeate me. And he said, open your eyes. And there was immediately uh, a familiarity, you know, with the voice. Um, I just thought I was gone, you know, I was dead because I'd thudded to the bottom of the ocean. Um, but when he said that, I could breathe, although I knew that I couldn't breathe underwater. Um, and when I opened my eyes, I first of all, I, I sort of, said to him internally, I can't open my eyes. It stings. I can't. And he just said again, open your eyes. And I opened my eyes and everything was absolutely perfectly clear. And there was light coming through the um, the water. Everything was calm. Um, and then he just buoyed, well, I just was buoyed up, just pushed to the surface of the water and imbued with this calm. So when I was pushed to the surface of the water, I very calmly did as I was told to do and, you know, waved and 
I went down again and Bob, you know, sank down. And when I came up again, I waved and until I was rescued. Um, at that point, I was completely mortified and embarrassed with <laughs> having nearly drowned. Um, there was, you know, I was vomiting up um, seawater and I was just full of uh, seawater. And yeah, I was very embarrassed in front of all of my peers. And so, and, and um, my parents were shocked when the school brought me home. So I didn't tell anybody about it. You know, I just wanted to be, you know, <laughs> I just wanted no attention about it. It was very, as far as I was concerned as a, as a child, it was very embarrassing. So that was that experience. Then at the age of 11, um, towards puberty, uh, we were, my family had taken, we were at a picnic with family friends and we were in the Mount Macedon Ranges. And the Mount Macedon Ranges are, I don't know if you know about meridians or ley lines and, um, but there are places on earth and I think that, you know, a lot, a lot of churches are, are placed in, in such places where there are um, these the magnetic force of the earth is different or there's this spiritual um, gateway of some sort. Anyway, so Mount, the Mount Macedon Ranges are such a place and it's acknowledged both by the ancient Aboriginal culture and the Aboriginal peoples of the area. But also there was this, there is a massive crucifix um, on a hill at the, uh, it was a, a war memorial of some sort. But yeah, so it's identified as, as that. Um, so to cut a long story short, we were racing down this hill, I tripped on a rock and Instead of falling forward, I flung myself back because I thought if I fall forward, I'm going to fall on my face or I'm going to roll, keep rolling down the hill. So because the impetus had already, you know, taken over, I had, I'd had no more control. So um, I flung myself back and hit my head on a rock. And now I didn't... I, when I flung myself, I basically, you know, just scrunched my eyes closed, really tired, anticipating the um, blow to my head, but the blow didn't come. And so when I realised the blow didn't come, I noticed, you know, that I was just in blackness. I relaxed my eyes and when I opened my eyes, I was already out of my body. Um and I thought, you know, I was facing up to the clouds, but then I turned around and I saw my body. Um, I didn't have much interest in it, but I just, because everything felt so wonderful, I didn't have any kind of attachment to the thing I saw laying down there, the vessel, you know. Um, I was just imbued with amazing emotional energy and I and the feeling of being drawn up. Um, now, it wasn't of my own volition. It was definitely some kind of force that was drawing me up. But it was a force that made me feel so safe that I looked around and I saw this amazing vista um, and, you know, of the ranges. And then, of course, you know, it just got further and further and further out. Um, and I was asked if I noticed that the earth was flat and I didn't notice that the earth was flat at all. 
but um, everything was wonderful and I was just enjoying myself. I'd never been a person who dreamt of flying, so this was new to me and it was just such a freedom. I had no anxiety or weightiness. I was my spiritual self. I wasn't my scared soul self or my, um, you know, there were just no negative emotions or thoughts attached to me at all. So suddenly I felt as a, a whiteout and I was cold. So I felt myself going through the clouds. And when I was went through the clouds, then this coldness overtook me as I came out of the clouds and I began to feel afraid because I thought, well, how far am I going to go? Am I just, you know... And I turned around and I could see space. I could see all the blackness and, I, you know, I became frightened. Um, and as soon as I felt frightened, this black, because um, what I could see wasn't actually blackness, it was like a deep, you know, the deep blue of space, very deep. Um, but this blackness appeared like a black hole um, I call it a portal, but it was like a black hole and it just vacuumed me into it. Um, first of all, it was very, it was black and then it became grey um, and there was just this sense of spinning and great speed and I was afraid, you know. Um, and so as soon as I was afraid and I thought, where am I going? I looked up again and... I saw this light and that I was approaching a light. Um, and then when I came into um, this light, well, I came closer to this light, I felt a sense of peace and a kind of, oh, it's okay, I've been here before. Um, this kind of familiarity. Um, so I felt that. And then as I came into the light, it was just like golden sparkles and... Um, yeah, just, you know, when we see uh, those golden, uh, the orbs on on your camera lens, you know, from light being reflected and everything was just sparkly and, and golden light. And I just came in, as soon as I came into that light, this kind of knowing permeated me and I was just like, oh, okay. And I just thought, oh, it's so simple. But I wasn't given to remember what that was imbued. But it was this kind of, oh, okay, it's all so simple. And so I kind of came down and there was a whole group of people looking up at me and they were so happy to see me as though I was the most important person in the world. It was really weird, you know. I was just like, who are these people? And... Um, because I was very young when I lost my grandfather and but they I'm quite sure they were my ancestors um but so yeah and they were welcoming me and um embracing me and they were just so so happy to see me no one's ever been so happy to see me it was amazing and then suddenly as I looked around as, at where I was um I could see you know arch-like structures and um, plants and it was like cultivated and I was outside of these uh, gates and there was, um, 
hills beyond the gates, beyond the wall, I could see hills and this beautiful landscape. And um, as I looked at the hills and I thought, oh, this is beautiful, what a world. Um, I saw this golden orb and I first of all thought, is that the sun here? It's beautiful, it doesn't even hurt my eyes. And as I looked into this orb, um, actually it came from my right side. And as I looked into it, it just, I noticed it was moving closer. And I noticed that everybody who was with me was familiar with what was happening. And they were just, this kind of happiness just ramped up a level. Um, and it came towards me, this mercurial orb. It was like um, plasma. Yeah, it was like plasma. And as it came towards me, I saw it had a white centre. And as I saw it had a white centre, I saw that it was a silhouette. And as I saw that it was a silhouette, I saw that someone was stepping out of it. And as he stepped out of it, I noticed the white robe. I noticed the beard. I noticed the dark curly hair. I noticed his stature and how strong and handsome he was. And in myself, I said, is that Jesus Christ? He's really, is that Jesus? He's really real. I thought inside of myself. And as I thought that immediately, he just imbued me with this chuckle, this, this amuse, you know, that I'd amused him and, and um, he was just so, yeah, he just thought I was really funny. <laughs> and, uh, so when he, he imbued that laughter into me, I um, knew that he could read my mind. And, but it was more than just a mind thing. Um, it was this heart exchange, you know. It was, uh, it was imbued. It wasn't just you, can, you know what I'm thinking. It was he imbued me with himself, and, uh, but he could read me. And uh, when I realised and I, you know, took on the energy that he put into me that was so, so uh, magnanimously beautiful and um, loving and huge, I just fell to the floor. And I just, it wasn't like I decided to sit down. I was just like, bang. You have to understand, I was not a Bible reader. I'd never heard of that every knee shall bow. I'd never heard of that. Um, I was uh, baptised a Catholic and even my uncle was a um, Franciscan priest. But, yeah, they were very, um, you know, it was all, all about this ceremonial kind of worship and um yeah, wasn't I didn't have any kind of relationship with God, and I wasn't encouraged to read the Bible. We had Sunday school, and we learned of the seven deadly sins and all of that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, um, there was not so much concentration on the beatitudes of of how what a great God, you know, what a marvelous. God and I use Jesus and God interchangeably because um, to me he is, you know. To me he's 
God, the Father, the Spirit, and and the man. Um, so, yeah, I fell to the floor and I started to cry. <laughs> now, through my tears, when I finally um, had the... I can't remember exactly what he said to me, but I had the courage to, to look up. And as I looked up, I saw his feet. I saw his foot and it was in a sandal. It was like a... And I thought to myself, this is the funniest thing. I thought, oh, Jesus wears thongs. <laughs> Because it was, you know, in Australia, um, it's very, it's a very colloquial kind of footwear. Everybody wears thongs, you know. Um, but being migrant, you know, being a migrant child, I didn't wear thongs. We didn't, we wore shoes or sandals. And, and I just thought, oh, this is really, <laughs> I thought it was really amusing. But yeah, as I, as I saw that and was amused by it, I sort of, you know, sort of inched my way to look up. And as I started to look up, because I just wanted to behold all of him, you know, take in all of him. And I saw quite high up on his foot, this golden hole. And as I looked into the golden hole, I was imbued with um, this experience of his crucifixion. Um, and that was so horrific that he's taken a lot of it away, but I, I know that he was barely recognisable as a human. You know, I know that flesh hung off of him and I saw his blood and water drip on the, on the flagstones. And I was so horrified and disturbed um, that I just looked up at him and said, does it still hurt? Um, it was just unfathomable to me, the kind of torture that he'd been put through and how dehumanised he was. Um, so, you know, up until now I'd found the, you know, picture of a Jesus, of Jesus on the cross that was always he was always betrayed as that to me I found it very very difficult as a child to behold but now you can imagine how I felt seeing it uh, and yeah it's funny because the quality of that information or that um, imagery that he gave to me was of a different quality to the imagery he gave to me afterwards so when I asked him if it still hurt, he said, no. And suddenly I was answered with what still hurt. Instead of telling me, he showed me what still hurt him. And what he showed me was I was again blinded. The, the light was now, whoa, you know, and I was in this different atmosphere suddenly. I was transported. He was taking me, leaving me. He was taking me over this. Now I was flying and he was taking me over this landscape, which was very arid. I didn't know where I was initially. Um, so he took me down into this. It was like a fortress kind of building, um, a, a walled kind of city, which I now know is Jerusalem, old Jerusalem. And um, 
it was like quite an enclosed courtyard and there was like a, lo- a higher, um, higher level where there were some people watching ahead of them and below them there was this crowd and they were just bang. They, the energy from them was so um, different to the energy I'd just come from that it was assaulting to me. It assaulted my senses. They almost, it was putrid, it was acrid. It, and I just felt, you know, really negatively towards them. And he just like, let me know, no, don't feel that way, you know. He he didn't feel that way about Rekindle your perfect combination at Pachanga Resort Casino. Embrace traditions, old and new. And play your perfect combination at Pachanga Resort Casino. About them. Even though I realised as the experience went on that they were baying for his blood. So he had forgiven them. You know, he, he showed me already that he forgave them. But what he took me to then was to stand next to this woman and she was clothed. He took me to her to stand next to her and to feel her love and to feel his love for her. Um, she was an ordinary looking woman. I didn't realise when I saw her, I knew that he loved her, but I didn't realise that she was Mother Mary. Um, she looked nothing like the Catholic Mother Mary that I'd seen, light skinned and, um, you know, very delicate looking. She was worn, you know, she was dark skinned and her face was lined. Um, she was probably much younger than she looked, but to me she looked, you know, like somebody approaching their 50s or 60s, you know, in their late 50s, early 60s. Um, So, yeah, I I sort of thought, okay, you know, and she was wearing, her hair was really black, um, which I think it was dyed. I think it was henna dyed. Um, I remember... She was wearing indigo and brown, and it was like a linen um, scarf type thing, but her um, robes was uh, like a herringbone. And I was like a herringbone weave. And I was really amazed at that. Um, So I looked at that and, you know, then I looked into her eyes and as soon as I looked into her eyes, I was inside of her experiencing her emotional state. And I just felt from her this profound love, like this very deep love, but this forbearance. And she was just trembling um, and crying into her scarf. And she was sobbing and trembling. And I felt like my heart was was breaking. You know, I felt like his heart was breaking, her heart was breaking, and I was feeling the heartbreak. Now, he didn't let me see what she was looking at or what the other people, you know, but I surmised that that I was at the first station of the cross uh, at his condemnation. Um, so, yeah, then he brought me back to him 
And he was glory. His glory was amplified. He was just even more glorious than I'd first seen him. He was just, you know, and, 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 and he showed me the message of the hurt, but it was then like, well, it was my glory to die for the world, you know. He hurt that he'd hurt his mother. He hurt for his mother that she'd suffered because of him. But it was his glory to die for the world because he'd saved the whole world. And being a Catholic girl, I thought, the whole world, the whole world hasn't had this sacraments. The whole world um, doesn't believe in you. And I said, the whole world? And he said, yes, the whole world. And he did show me briefly. I've got a vague recollection that he showed me that the whole world would come, that the kingdom of God would come to earth. And I believe, and in my lifetime, so I believe that we're in those times of that happening. Um, I strongly believe that and I see it and I knew it in 2015 when I saw um, the awakening in China, the Christ awakening in China. And I just said to my sister so excitedly, it's happening, it's, ha it's really happening, you know. Uh, so, yeah, he told me that. And then he took me to look at, um, you know, because I, I, I guess he could tell that I wasn't still believing as much as I should be or could be. Or... So he took me and he sat me on a rock and my feet dangled and we were just in space now. Um, with the stars beneath us and he just sat next to me really close by and there was just that Orion Nebula. And he didn't say anything to me, he didn't share and I didn't really for the longest time know why he'd shown me that. But of course when I saw it on Google, because when it occurred, you know, it didn't, there were no such images and um, later on, I lost interest, so I wasn't even into NASA or cosmic stuff. Or, um, but yeah, he showed me that. And I recognised when I started looking through which nebula it actually was, that it was the Orion Nebula. Anyway, and I opened the book once, the whole, the, uh, the Bible, and opened to the passage that says that the Saviour is, reigns over, um, you know, the galaxies, the stars, and specifically Orion. I didn't even know that was in, you know, I had no idea that that was in the Bible at all. That's just a recent revelation that I've received. So he showed me that and I thought, yeah, that's amazing. And I just felt like I'm going to be with him forever. I was just completely in love with him. Um, and yeah, it was just like having a glimpse of eternity and he didn't speak anything to me about it. He just showed me that he was above that, you know, he was above it. And, and he imbued this knowing to me that creation is happening in every moment, you know, and it's some kind of electromagnetic happening that's done in, with colour and, um, yeah, it was amazing to, yeah, the depth of it escapes me. <laughs> at this point in time to to uh, put it into words, but it was just magnificent. Anyway, and um, 
then he said, look here, my child. And he kind of turned and we turned away from the nebula and he put his right hand in front of me and in the trace of his hand, a book appeared and it was like tilted up towards us. And I thought, great, he's going to be teaching me something. Um, and there was something written on the first page and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like beloved or I don't know. I knew the meaning of it. Um, and I knew, you know, that before when he, when he appeared, there was this like imbued knowing that I was part of his tribe, you know, that there were other tribes. I was part of his tribe. I was his. Um, there's just so much that knowledge that's like imbued in his presence that's um, difficult to, to sort of put chronologically, you know, all these things just come up like um, all these recollections are just this big <laughs> kind of um, multifaceted um, thing. Um, so yeah, I, his, this book started to flick through and it was like watching a slideshow, you know, a fast moving slideshow. And I saw these beautiful people um, and they were loving on this baby and I watched this baby grow and how beautiful this family was. And I made no connection whatsoever that it was my life that I was watching. I because he was showing me how he sees my mum and dad, how he sees me. Um, and then it came to an instance where there was a beautiful dark haired girl and this other character who was the, the center of this story and they were arguing and I recognized the situation. I'd said something really offensive to this beautiful girl about her mum and it was a tit-for-tat kind of exchange but it deeply deeply hurt her and I felt her hurt and immediately I felt so mortified at myself um so ashamed you know and and just wanted to escape the truth of it you know um and I turned around and I said to him, well, it's not fair. That was a tit for tat, you know, suddenly realising this was my life. This was my life he was showing me. But it's not fair. She hurt me first and I just hurt her back, you know. I don't get it. Like, if I can't defend myself, what, what's it all about, you know? How, how can I live in this world if I can't defend myself? I, you don't know. You don't understand, I said to him. <laughs> you know? When you think of our foolishness, we don't let go of it very easily. <laughs> sort of, um, he, here he was showing me that he he ruled over the stars and the nebula and and the cre and creation. You know that creation was coming out of this nebula, and he ruled over everything. And I'm saying you don't understand. And he laughed at me. You know, he laughed, he was amused. He didn't correct me or anything like that. He just listened to me and, and smiled and laughed. And um, yeah, there's nothing berating or minimizing uh, about his laugh. You don't feel ridiculed. You just feel his joy, you know. And I said, well, 
tell me, I don't understand, so tell me, what's life about? I don't get it. And he said, life is about love. And I said, yeah, but people don't live like that. I can't live like that if no one else lives like that, you know, in all earnestness. Um, And he just smiled at me again. He didn't say to me, yes, you can. This is how you do it, blah, blah, blah. Nothing. He just... He just left it at that and just smart beamed at me, you know. And, you know, now when I, once I accepted it, I think to myself, of course, you know, he just showed me that he still loved these people who hated him and wanted him tortured and dead and wanted, you know, he just showed me that. And here I am, slow, and sort of saying, well, I can't forgive people if they don't love me, if they don't treat me right, I can't love them. Um, so yeah, that was, um, that was the extent of that conversation. And, but now I, I knew with the showing of my life and everything, I knew that I still had a lot to learn. And so I started to beg him, uh, not to be parted from him. And, um, I started to cry and just cling to him and sort of, you know, just held on to him. And um, that was really, really hard. Um, and I think, you know, I, he sort of, he started to tell me about my free choice and my free will. And um, with that, he said to me, you can have, you can have an amazing life, but it depends on, where you put your focus. Wherever you put your focus, that is what you're going to have. I didn't understand that at all. You know, I thought that's kind of, that's some, I mean, I believed him, but I felt it was some kind of magical thinking. And later on down the track, I, I, I just, you know, forgot about it and, and didn't realise the truth in that until I studied psychology and counselling. Um, so he told me that and, um, you know, to give me some kind of courage, you know, and he said, you have free will in this life and you choose your focus anyway. And then I said, well, you know, I must've conveyed to him that I chose to stay with him, you know, (laughs) and he said, look, look here, my child. And again, he put his right hand in front of me and it was like a a holograph appeared, a hologram, holograph or whatever you want to call it. And it was the image of this beautiful young man. And I instantly felt intense love for him. And he looked at me with love. And so I knew that this was going to be, he let me know, this is in your life. This is a part of your future. $30 could help provide a free ride to life-saving treatment. Donate today at cancer.org. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, this looks like real love. You know, this feels like the realest love. Um, Later on, I realized that he'd shown me my son. At the time, I thought he'd shown me my future husband because I was really looking forward to becoming a a grown woman and as you are at 11 and, you know, on the 
on the doorstep of puberty um, or just entering puberty. Um, so yeah, that was immediately as I, what I thought. And I looked at him thinking, oh, is this going to be my husband? He's, oh, he's so handsome. And he just smiled at me again. You know, he just knowingly smiled, but he didn't say anything. So, um, <laughs> which was just, you know, he did that to me on a number of occasions. Um, yeah, so then he showed me, he told me, I don't remember if it was then or if it was after when he told me that the whole world was saved. Um, but he showed, he basically told me that the world would be in a, a state of grace and I would live to see great miracles on the earth. He, he told me that. Um, and then he showed me myself as a grown woman. Um, and this is really... Um, oh, look, I, just, I can't tell you every detail of it. We'll be here for hours. But he showed me as a grown woman and I was dressed in a suit and my hair was silvering, but it was all silver. Um, and he, um, I was just had like the side view and the back view of myself and I was addressing a large audience. And I thought, oh, that's strange. But funnily enough, when I grew up, I engaged in public speaking. Um, at the time that he showed me that, I was a timid, kind of awkward, very awkward, prepubescent child, you know. You know, that awkward stage that you, you know, where you're just developing and everything feels weird, you, you don't feel comfortable in your own body. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, that was like, oh, wow. So I'm going to have a... a, a an important role to play. And he just said, yes, but not with any kind of enthusiasm. And I said to him, okay, if I go back, should I tell everybody about this? And he said, yeah, but I didn't get from him that it was like the most important thing I do to tell everybody. And when I said to him, um, this is going to be a marvelous life. This looks like a marvelous life. There was like a flash of sadness and I saw this flash of sadness and because I saw the flash of sadness, I thought, no, I want to please him. So I decided to go back. And as soon as I decided to go back, he pushed me and that was shocking. That was shocking that he pushed me. Um, because up until that point, I just felt completely enveloped and loved by him, you know, and, and included. But he pushed me and the next thing I knew, I was back in this body of mine. Um, it was just so fast and my headache, you know, I had this throbbing headache. I could feel this wetness, like this strange sensation of wetness. And I thought, am I in water? Am I drowning? You know, but no, a beagle had actually come up and was licking um, the right side. Um, my temple as I uh, was unconscious and apparently that's where I'd hit my head. So this beagle, and that beagle had come along and it's ironic, isn't it, that a dog had come along to try and awaken me and, you know, um, now I see the, the kind of um, the weird or the, the synchronicity in it, you know, um, and yeah, because there were no dogs in the park when we were running. Um, 
anyway, and then I could hear that people coming. And as soon as I, as soon as they came to me, I said to them, I didn't recognise them. I didn't recognise my mother or my father, my brothers and my brother and sister. None of them. Um, the the other boys that we'd come to the park with, or you know, the other family. None of them. But as soon as I opened my eyes, I said, Jesus is real. Jesus is real. You've got to believe me. Jesus is real. Jesus is real. And they let me tell them a bit of my experience. And they said, Pauline, you were out for maybe three minutes, five minutes max, you know. And then I just knew, oh, my gosh, you know, first of all, who is this people? Where am I? They don't believe me. I don't feel safe. Anyway, and my father scooped me up in his arms and took me to, we had like a, you know, like the old Brady Bunch, um, what are they called, you know, with the station wagon, <laughs> that kind of Brady Bunch car. Um, and he put me in the back of there and I rested for a bit and I could hear them talking. They took me to the doctor and the closest doctor and the doctor said, um, this is called a right temporal lobe uh, injury. It's brain damage. It's brain trauma because they told me to recount the experience to him. And he just listened. And um, when he's, when I had finished, I could tell that he didn't believe me at all. Um, and he said, you know, this is brain trauma. She's had a brain injury. And all I could hear was, you're not normal anymore. You're not okay. Your perceptions are not um, reliable. And basically that haunted me for, you know, the rest of my days until 2015. Even though I had another encounter with Jesus at the age of 33. Um, and yeah, I still, that damage was so deep um, in, in making me second guess myself that I, you know, just too quickly put these spiritual experiences and these gifts aside because they are gifts. They're really, they really are gifts. Um, so I made it my mission to um, provide support, especially because when I came out, I noticed that there weren't many, apart from Howard Storm and Mary Neal, there weren't many people who were coming out and, and speaking of their encounters with Christ. And when they did, they were being completely shut down. Um, and so, yeah, I looked into irons and, and this kind of philosophy that, oh, well, you know, it's just um, you're projecting what your upbringing and conditioning is or you're tapping into this aspect of collective consciousness and all of that. And I know about collective consciousness. I know about psychology. I know about the nature of the mind, the nature of the spirit, the nature of the soul, the nature of the body um, and the interrelationship. And I just know without a doubt that it's not some kind of projection. Um, it's it's the ultimate reality. Now, whether you choose that reality or um, I know that we have freedom of choice. So, um, yeah, that's, that's basically my experience and that's um, much of the wisdom that I gleaned from that.
Well, Pauline, thank you so much for sharing that. That is one of the most beautiful stories that I have ever heard. Um, as we were talking before I began recording, I come from a Christian background. And so Jesus has always been real to me since I was a child. And I just love hearing stories about Jesus. And this is one of the most in-depth stories that I've heard. So I'm, I'm really, really glad that you were willing to share this with us. It's my pleasure and honor.